Welcome to Rome Cuny Bible Church, where we desire to become a worshiping community of grace and truth by sharing the love of Christ locally and globally. We're in Ephesians chapter 1, continuing through the first part of Ephesians. So if you guys have your Bibles, you could turn there. Ephesians chapter 1. And just a few notes. Um, we're going to pause in the book of Ephesians after this Sunday. Next week, we guess what? We get to celebrate our Savior's birth and spend some time looking at just different messages, focus on that. So we'll just pause and Ephesians will be waiting for us at the beginning of the year. So um, it's one of those things that I'm glad that we get to and, and study God's Word. Also, uh, in the back, when you first come in in the foyer, I don't know if you noticed, but there's some shelves with some free resources. Uh, my desire as a pastor is to try to get good resources into your hands. And so that goal is to kind of have that being like on a rotation of different things and just get resources into your hands to help you grow in your faith and just equip you that way. And that's one of the ways that I, I do believe that's a part of discipleship is just to help you in your growth and your walk with the Lord. So you guys feel free to pick that out. As you can see, some of the books are there. Some of them we've given out already, and you may already have a copy, which is great. Some of them, feel free to grab one. We have that there. But um, with that, why don't we begin with a word of prayer? Uh, let's go before the Lord now. God, we thank you for today. Thank you that we could gather and reflect your word we ask right now the Holy Spirit would bring it to light. That we'd be in awe of your goodness and grace as it draws us to our precious Savior. Jesus who saves, who heals, who redeems, who loves. May we just be in awe and you would draw us close to you, God, and we praise you. As your word speaks to us today, thank you, God, that you minister to each and every one of us. You know about our week. You know the burdens that we face or the hurt that we have, the grief that we have, and you minister to us. Thank you for the work of the gospel, what Jesus came to do. Thank you for the work that you're doing in each and every one's lives. <laughs> thank you that we're confronted that you love us so much that you don't allow us to stay where we are, but yet you draw us near to you. You point us to your grace that we cry, cling to you and cry out to you. You are so good. So we thank you for today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Have you ever gotten in an accident? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> We were sitting down eating as a family, and the manager of this restaurant came up to me and said, excuse me, are you, are you the family that has a white minivan? And I'm like, uh-oh. You know, like, I just knew. I'm like, how do you want, how do you know, and like, why? And then, so that kind of goes through your mind, and she's like, well, and she, they took me aside and said, someone hit your car. And I was like, ugh. Oh. And I, to be honest with you, I was more frustrated because I was about ready to take my first bite of food. <laughs> I was like right there. I'm like, oh, I'm so hungry. We drove. I forget where we were coming from, but we had like a road, this long trip that we were coming back to, and we were just all starving, and I was just waiting, and I'm like, ah. But I went outside, and I saw the damage. It was minor, and I was like, huh. And you want to know why? It's because I have insurance. I was like, 
all right, like this will get fixed. Car can still drive. No one got hurt. We're okay. Like not a big deal. And then I got all the information and said, all right, well, thank you for letting me know. I got to go eat now. And they're like, oh, okay. And I'm like, yeah. Reason why insurance you have is because, well, for those reasons. And it gives you this assurance that you're like, it's okay. It's going to be okay. If you've ever gotten in a bigger accident or maybe even if your car got totaled, like you're like, it's going to be okay. Well, as Christians, we have this assurance that's been given to us, and that's the Holy Spirit. That we know that no matter what happens in this life, I, I got to tell you, as a Christian, we could say, it's going to be okay. Like, yeah, there's inconveniences in your life that's going to happen. There's, some of them are going to feel like bigger inconveniences or hurts. But I got to tell you, if you're in Christ, guess what? It's going to be okay. And how do we know? Because Paul addresses that here. He says, I'm going to let you know about this assurance that you have that's in Christ because we have the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're going through verses 3 through 14, and we spent four weeks, actually five weeks now, going through this section of what does it mean, these spiritual blessings that, that is promised to us, that Paul really, he's not addressing the church in the sense of instruction right now. He's just praising God. He's saying, let me praise God because of what he's done. And it would be prudent for us to read this passage again just so we could be in awe of it. Um, Notice certain things that pop out. And my prayer is that as we've gone over this and if you've been joining us and reading it, or even if you're like, hey, I know Ephesians by heart. I love that. More power to you because I think we should memorize scripture. Um, But Ask the Holy Spirit to bring to light new things and insight and let it speak to you because that's what we're called to do. Um, I've encouraged you as we go through the book of Ephesians to read it in one setting, uh, six um, chapters. It's very feasible to do. Um, Some of you said, I read it in one sitting. I'm like, yes, I love it that you've done it. And I'm going to ask you to do do it again. (laughs) Do it again because it's insightful and see how the Holy Spirit does bring new things to you. Read with me, starting verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious Grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7 In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to praise to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Did you notice the triune God who is spoken of by Paul here? 
We are chosen for adoption by the Father, redeemed for unity by the Son, and now sealed for inheritance by the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 is kind of Paul's focus as he says, you know, blessed be God. And why is he praising God? He says, because he's given us every spiritual blessing. What are the spiritual blessings that Paul's talking about? In a nutshell, it'd be salvation. Uh, he is the one who gives salvation. He is the one who works salvation. He is the one who's made it even possible. And so Paul's spending time, verses 3 through 14 in Greek, is one long sentence. And so he is just allowing his praise to come out of his mouth about how good God is and what he's done for us. And Siri says, the spiritual blessing, may you realize that God is not holding out on you. Let me stress that because that's something that we fall back to and I've shared with you for these past few weeks. This is what he's pointing to. Look what God has done. Like, don't lose sight of this. How important it is to know the gospel, to be reminded of the gospel, to cling to the gospel. There's nothing that I should say that God's not holding out for you that you could say like, okay, well, there's more to come. Yes, when we talk about salvation, there's the aspect of eternal life that we're longing for. There's, I mean, I hope you hope for the same like me. Heaven's going to be great. No more sickness, no more death, no more pain. Jesus who makes all new things or things new that we get to be with him. Like, yeah, we're longing for that. But Paul's saying what Jesus did is enough. It is good enough. It's sufficient. This is the best gift, the greatest gift, and he's given it to us. So, of course, he's going to praise him. In one way, Paul's painting this picture for us to talk about spiritual blessing. He's using different colors to vividly describe and display how good it is. How have you ever seen that picture that if you stare at it one way, it looks like a young lady, and you turn it upside down, it's an old lady? And you're like, it's the same picture, but it's different. That's not what he's doing here. He's like, oh, it's two different things. No, he's just talking about salvation, but he praises God for the different descriptions of salvation. He says, in him, in verse 13, in him you also, and it's that phrase 11 times he uses in him or in Christ. And he's being redundant on purpose. He wants you to know what it means to be in Christ. It's not just a description of a Christian. Yes, that's one way Paul says the word Christian in him. But it means more than just a title like Mr. or Mrs. He's saying you share with Christ. Jesus represents you and you are in him. And you get to share in his perfect sinless life. That you get to share in his sacrificial death. You share in his glorious resurrection and his ascension and his glorification. You get to share in it all. There's not just this compartmentalization that comes with Christ. No, you get it at all. And as you share that, as you, we realize that the bigger picture is that's our identity for those who are in Christ. So who are you? And as we have different aspects to underlining that question or answering that question, Paul's saying the biggest identification that we have, the one that matters is that you are in Christ. This is what the gospel does, is that it confronts us. 
It rips off the masks of who we try to pretend to be or how we try to be with certain people. The gospel confronts that saying you can't do that because Jesus knows all of you. And he loves you so much that even the worst of the worst, he confronts that and he says, I died for you. I've set you free from this. And that's the great thing about the gospel, but we have to surrender to what he's done. The gospel addresses hypocrisy that we may have or fakeness. The gospel addresses apathy, which we all tend to have at some point. The gospel confronts us in the space that's saying you can't just compartmentalize your religious self and saying how you are on Sunday is going to be different than how you are the rest of the week. No, the gospel says I've died for you completely. That's what Jesus did to change you, to make you new. You just can't check mark the church thing and say, well, I'm good because I went to church. The gospel confronts us to think that we have the power and our own strength to say, well, look who I am, when really it magnifies the fact that we aren't good, that we're dead in our sins and trespasses. And it points to Jesus who did it all for us. I shared a little bit in, about my past, and um, for you may not know, but I did grow up in a Christian home. Um, I went to a Christian school. I knew a lot of the Bible at a young age. I had a heart to do ministry at a young age, but there was a danger as that I became more focused on the moralistic approach that if I lived a certain life, then God was going to do certain things for me. It was this kind of like trademark, like, hey, if I do this, you're going to do this. And if I don't do this or I sin, oh, man, then God's going to be really angry in his wrath. And I, I was always this, in this back and forth relationship, almost like, a, like, like there was this condition attached to us. And I mistook what I'm called to do is depend on his grace, which we're all called to do. And then once that kind of that picture got clear to me, the light went on. Talk about freeing. Talk about that weight that was lifted off my shoulders of saying, wait, Jesus did it and it's enough. It's good enough. His grace is sufficient that me going forward is dependent on his grace, not by my works. That God's favor is in me because of Christ and not because of anything else. I was freeing. And so by Paul saying, you who are in Christ, it's actually the burden is lifted. It's not put on you. It's put on what Jesus has already accomplished on our behalf. And so the gospel changes all of us, every part of us. No matter to the extent of your great sin, because let me tell you, his grace is even greater. Going from a sinner, being called a saint, from an enemy of God to being a child of God, from being dead in your sins and trespasses to be made fully alive with life abundantly, hopeless to hope-filled, this is for those who are in Christ. And so Paul cannot help but praise God because of this truth. Four different times in these verses he says, to the praise of his glory. So this is his praise. If you feel like you're in a rut, or it's a dry spell in your Christian walk, or maybe you're just grieving or hurting or angry, or whatever the case may be, can I just point you to the gospel? The cure for apathy 
is the gospel. The confrontation with hypocrisy is the gospel. To be reminded of what Christ has done is comforting. Dwell on what Jesus has done for you, like Paul did. In one way, he's like just letting it flow out, and it's just, like I said, it's just one long sentence in Greek. And he's just letting it flow out because it's what Jesus has done. Think much of what Jesus has done. He says, in Christ, we have the spiritual blessing of being adopted as sons and daughters. And we're brought into his family, called his children. In Christ, we have redemption by the blood of Christ, which was shed by him. That means you've been set free and liberated from sin. It does not have a stronghold in you and on you and in your life. In Christ, we have obtained the inheritance, and that's both present and future. Jesus says, or says he lavishes his grace on you, that he who is abundantly rich pours out his riches upon you. In Christ, you've heard and believed, he says, and we're sealed now with the Holy Spirit. One commentator, he writes this. He says, it is Jesus who loves his bride, who laid down his life to redeem her, and will one day present her holy and blameless. He is the one who nourishes and cherishes her as his own. He redeemed it, sealed it, empowered it, brought it into one body, filled it with God's fullness, gifted it, and loved and sanctified it. Christ is not only a ruler or authority over the church, but also the source of sustenance by which it is, which it is nurtured. So for Paul, saying in him or in Christ, it mattered. The believer today, you are in Christ, it matters because we see what he's done on our behalf. So then Paul says, So in him, as he said, he, he mentions that over 11 different times in these verses. He talks about what God has done to now our response to what God has done. He says, When you heard the word of truth, the word hear, heard means that there is this response that we're called to have to the gospel being given. But it also denotes that. The gospel must be shared in order for people to hear it. There must be the giving out of the gospel. Yes, God is the one who calls and predestines, but he uses human beings as his vessels to proclaim the gospel. That's why Jesus tells us that we are to make disciples of all nations. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we receive power from the Holy Spirit to be what? Witnesses. And that's what we see that there's this aspect of what God has done, and yet he chooses to use us for his glory in this process and the goal that he has of salvation. It's called truth, meaning that this is truth. And when we live in a day and age where people want to argue what is truth or your truth is not my truth, there is truth. It's found in God and his word. Pilate asked that question to Jesus, like, what is truth? And the reason being is because Jesus said this, you say that I am a king for this purpose. So I was born and for this purpose, I've come into the world. And what is it to bear witness to the truth? Paul is saying, you've heard the truth, the gospel, which sets you free. It confronts you. 
Yes, there's conviction because we see who we really are. We could put up masks and try to fool people, but you can't fool God. And the gospel rips that apart and says, but I love you so much. I died for you. Jesus died to set us free, to save us, to redeem us. So this is truth. But then he says, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him. So aspects of for those in Christ, you heard it. Now there's a belief. This is knowing not only what Jesus said, what he said, but believing that he did what he said he would do. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, Because if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is this response that we're called to have. And you read whenever, like Jesus, throughout the Gospels in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, when the Gospel is shared, there's always a response. And what is it? To repent, to believe, to turn from your your directory to the new direction that's in Christ. That's what we're called to do. And yet he uses people like you and me to do that. So he's getting to the spiritual blessing. And what is it? It says we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The word seal can mean a few different things. One, it could be like the sealing of a jar to keep something fresh or new. You know, if you're ever at home and you try to open that jar and you're like, I can't. So you ask your husband to say, hey, open this jar. My wife does that still. My kids are impressed that I could do it. I know that one day, but, you know, they're like, wow, I couldn't do that. I'm like, yep, I still got it. That's that's my one job in life. So (laughs) open jars. But it could mean that. It also can mean something to be sealed with authenticity, meaning, hey, this is real, it's genuine, you have the seal to say it was. I had a friend that collected baseball cards, and he would actually send them off to get rated on how well they were preserved, and he would get a letter back with a rating with a seal on it saying this was authenticated, it's real, it's you know valued at this price or whatever the case may be, because it, was a, it had the authority behind it. In a way, it would be like, okay, we have this authority behind it that we're authenticated as a Christian. We've been sealed. But most likely what Paul was referring to here is it means the mark of ownership. Um, during that Roman time, they would actually you know, brand, whether it's cattle or even slaves, to show ownership, but also protection. Like, this was mine, and you can't have it, and I'm going to protect it. And he's using that language to describe that those who are in Christ have been marked by the Holy Spirit saying there were his, that there's this assurance saying that we're his and we're protected. That's the message that he's relaying here is that those who are in Christ have been sealed. Another way of looking at it is if you ever went to elementary school and you had a friend that had a big brother and you knew you couldn't mess with them without having the big brother mess with you. They're like, well, yeah, my, wait until my brother finds out kind of thing. You're like, oh, the brother's big. Maybe I don't want to mess with him. That's like what Paul's saying. Like you've been marked with the Holy Spirit. You have God in you that you have this promise and this assurance. He's got you in his hands. That's the idea that he's relaying here. The Christian has been marked by the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, was given to us, Jesus said, as our helper to help us. In John 16, verse 8, his job is to convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit also brings to light God's word. You know, pray like when we read God's word in the morning on our own or even as a church, 
That's our prayer is that the Holy Spirit would bring it to light in our minds, meaning we would have understanding, but not just understanding, but we'd move changed. We'd, we'd be different. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Christian's been given power from the Holy Spirit to be able to live a life of godliness, to share the gospel, to be used and equip the saints for good works. And here it says that you've been marked or set apart. I like how one commentator said that it's like the birthmark of a Christian. I don't know if you have a birthmark. I have one on my finger and Ada has one on her finger too. And it's kind of fun that we both have very similar birthmarks. But he's saying, if you're a new creation, you're born again, you've been given a birthmark. And that's the Holy Spirit. In fact, it goes even bigger than that, that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us for those who are in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Think about that for a moment. <laughs> God dwells in you. So you've been marked, protected, with this assurance that he's with us. One pastor, I like how he says it, that the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. The spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. That's what we've been given. Paul's praising God because of his spiritual blessing. What a great thing to know who we have. He goes on to describe what this mark is. He's a guarantee of our inheritance. The deposit has been given, and there's more to come of the inheritance. He's saying, this is his saying, I'm good for it. I'm giving you the, the beginning phase of this, and there's more to come. That's what he's saying here. It's like the first course of many more courses to come. On our honeymoon, we got to go uh, and went to a restaurant that had like seven courses. And we've never done that. And I didn't really even know what that meant. I just thought that was like you chose certain things and it was like, okay. But the, like you literally get seven different courses. And so we got the menu. And again, we're kids not knowing what this meant. And I'm looking. Some of the stuff looked good. Some of the stuff I'm like, eh. But Okay, and I thought I got to pick and choose. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to have this, and maybe I'll do that. And he's like, oh, no, you get it all. We're just letting you know what's coming. I'm like, oh. So the first course comes, and it was pretty good. I was like, oh, this is nice. I'm kind of getting full, and the second course comes, and that fills me up. And then I'm like, oh, no, I got five more. <laughs> but that's the idea here. It's like he's the guarantee of your inheritance. God has given us the Holy Spirit to say, I'm good for it. Here's the deposit, and there's so much more to come. That's the idea that he's saying, how blessed we are. We are blessed because of what God has done. The deposit has been given. The large sum is coming our way. Our call to worship from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22 says this, that God who establishes us with you in Christ has given, has anointed us and who also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That's the idea here. You've been marked. You've been given the Holy Spirit. This is the guarantee that we know he's good for it. The deposit. It's in your account. You have the Holy Spirit. 
He says, until we acquire possession, he's talking about the day of redemption at our conversion. Did you know that the day you came and followed Christ, responded to the gospel as a Christian, your conversion, you've been given the Holy Spirit. This isn't something that you have to work for or aim at. It's no, it's been given. Again, the work has been done by Christ and been given to us. This is not for the spiritual elite or just the pastor or the missionary or the super Christian. <laughs> it's for all those who are in Christ. It evens a playing field, brings us together in unity, reminds us of God's goodness. The Holy Spirit serves as this promise of the inheritance that we receive now and there's more to come. Author Jared Wilson, he writes this, The Holy Spirit seals those who are born again to ensure that they stand blameless before God at the very end of their days. And the Holy Spirit sustains those born again every millisecond between those two moments. That's the goodness of his guarantee. It's ongoing and continuing in us and through us. And can I tell you that God fulfills his promises? Do you know that? He does. When you think of promises that are in Scripture, you know, probably many come to your mind. Like one, like he'll never leave us nor forsake us. The Holy Spirit is saying, no, no, you can count on these promises that they're good and true because I've been given to you. He says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I not only said that, but I'm showing you that that's true because you have the Holy Spirit. The one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How do we know that's true? He's given us the deposit. He'll see us through. That's the idea here. It's true for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, the beginning part of the call to worship, when he says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. How many of you have ever had a promise broken or not fulfilled? Or maybe you didn't fulfill a promise. And so maybe we're thinking like, well, how can this be true? Or these are so big and good and huge things. How can God fulfill them and, and be true? He's like, no, no. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why it's through him that we utter our amen to God, meaning truly or verily or we agree. And it's for his glory. And, that, and then the next few verses, that's when he says, because you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is our guarantee. So Paul's saying, I know his promises are true. I can say yes heartily and be like strong in that and be like screaming, yes, I know they're going to be true. I'm confident in that because of the Holy Spirit. In closing, what does that mean, though, for, how, for us today? Because these truths aren't just future truths. There's also present truths. That's why Paul's praising God in the moment. Where was he when he wrote this letter? You guys remember? He was in prison. His end was coming to, or his life was coming to an end, and yet he just praised God. Number one, knowing that we've been marked as a Christian, those who are in Christ with the Holy Spirit, means that we have the strength for today. Some of you have probably been hit pretty hard with some things that are just. And it almost like takes the wind out of your sails. Feels like it could rob you of the joy or the purpose of why you keep going. You may not even say, well, I don't even want to face today. Let me just remind you that you've been given 
that mark, that assurance, you can because he'll see you through. We have the strength for today. The Apostle Paul went through many trials, as we know. And I, I'm kind of always like this, intrigued with this one. Three different times he prayed for a thorn to be removed from his side, right? And some go back and forth, what was this thorn? Some think it's maybe a physical ailment that just he was stuck with, or maybe it was some other spiritual battle thing, or whatever it might be. I don't know. All I know is that it bothered him. He asked the Lord to remove it. And what was the answer that he got? <laughs> God said, my grace is sufficient. We have the strength for today because God says, my grace is good enough. Like, it'll see you through. But God, you don't know what I'm going through. <laughs> you don't know the weight that I'm going through. This is too big. My grace is sufficient, as he says. Maybe you're like, but that just seems like a cop-out. No. It's to let you know his grace is good enough. And that's all we need. And sometimes we're in that moment. It's like, but that's all I could cling to right now. And what a great thing to say. Cool. Because that's all you need. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul asked him, and he says, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in what? Our weakness. It's okay for us to be weak, church, because it's not based on our strength. I know that's contrary to our world that says, no, you must do this and you be confident in this. Well, what does Paul say his confidence is? He says, I will, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in what his weakness is, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. <laughs> He's saying, I'm going to gladly boast in. Whatever his weakness would be, his thorn in the flesh, and knowing that he can't save himself, that he once was dead, and look what Christ has done. And more than likely, he's boasting in that aspect of it. And he says, cool, my power is made perfect in my weakness. God's power is, because his grace is sufficient. Our strength is not in ourselves, our own cunning abilities, or our thick skin. Or even our stubbornness. <laughs> it's solely in what Christ has done alone for us. Number two, we have the seal of the Holy Spirit, which means we're safe from the frightening powers that are in the spiritual realm. This is huge because there's a spiritual battle that we don't always see, right? Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He points to this spiritual realm. We have an enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, who wants to rob you of joy, that wants to destroy your love that you have in Christ. He wants to take it all away from you. But we have the Holy Spirit to say, like, no, that can't happen. We are his, and he is mine. We're protected. We have him, and he has us. Number three, we have the Holy Spirit, which means we can have the confidence to face tomorrow. Just like the strength for today, we'll have good news. You'll have it to be able to go tomorrow, and you can be confident in that. When you don't feel like you're now in bed, I can tell you you can, because the one who sees you through. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 through 34, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. <laughs> this is what we're called to do, but then there's... There is this reminder. Therefore, do not be 
anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We can be confident to face tomorrow because we know the one who knows tomorrow. The one who has us in our hands. Jesus reminds the disciples here in Matthew 6, not just today has its own enough problems and just don't worry about it because you've got enough to worry about today. He's speaking to something bigger. He's like, no, no, the one who has you has tomorrow. Jesus, who makes all things new. We have the Holy Spirit. The days that you feel like you failed or your trajectory, you're like, man, I don't like where my life's going. We can be confident because he's making all things new and that he does a work in us and through us. The one who offers forgiveness freely. When we feel like we're apathetic, who can stir us up and knowing, okay, I'm thankful that I have another chance tomorrow. We can be confident about that. And then number four, we have the Holy Spirit, which means we have joy that's everlasting. Joy is a spiritual gift. It's not based on circumstance. When we read about the fruit of the Spirit, what is it? Love. What's next? Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Gentleness. Self-control. Against such things there was no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have been crucified, the flesh with its passions and desires. It's not on circumstance. And so we could say, you know what? I can have joy even through the midst of hardship or hurts because what I have in Christ. Like Paul said, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then what? Who can be against us, church? And he ends all for the glory of God, to the praise of his glory. Four different times he talks about praising God because of the spiritual blessing. We have much to praise God because of what he's done. The one who's called us as his children, the one who's redeemed us by his blood, the one who gives an inheritance and then the assurance, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the guarantee will see us through. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word and thank you for bringing us here. Thank you, God, for the work that you're doing in us and through us. Thank you, God, that you minister to each and every one of us and you know where we're at and you know what we need. Would you call those who do not know you, Lord, to know you, to hear the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, to believe in you, that they would see themselves knowing that they've sinned against you, God, but you are gracious and loving. As we look to what Jesus has done, who took our sin, who knew no sin, who died, rose again three days later, conquering sin and death. Jesus, our victorious Savior, who conquered it, who's over all things, we can know you, and they would know you. They could call on your name to be saved. God, we ask that you would be with the church today. Stir us up, Lord, as we bear one another's burdens, as we rejoice with one another. May we hear your word, and when we leave here changed, desiring for the lost to know you, that there's people here in this county that don't know you. There's people in our state, in our country, in this world that don't know you. 
And that's like Paul who's praising you because of what you've done. We can praise you and the world would may know the world may see what you've done. So thank you for that. Thank you for listening. And if you would like more information, please visit RCBC Bellingham.